Hey guys, good morning. Uh, my name's Sam Smith. Uh, we haven't met. I'm a church planning pastor here at Rogers Park with uh, Park and Mission All. In fact, we're looking forward to planting a new Park Mission All church in the coming year in Uptown, the great neighborhood of Uptown. So if that's intriguing to you, if you're interested in that, please reach out. We'd love to talk. In fact, January 11th, we'll be starting a, our first group there in Uptown. So if that's something that you want to get involved with or learn more about, please reach out to me um, as we continue the process of planting a new church in Uptown. Um, but for today, um, I'm excited to, to continue this series of Advent, right? We've been in this Advent series looking at these passages in Isaiah. And today we're going to be in another passage of Isaiah. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible app, turn to Isaiah 35. Isaiah chapter 35. We'll be looking at the entire chapters, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it again for us so we just have it on the forefront of our minds before we, we unpack it today. Isaiah 35 says this, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are anxious of heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and a highway shall be there. And that shall be called the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me and we'll jump in. Well, God, do your work today. Would you open our eyes to see what you have for us? Would you point us to Jesus today, ultimately? May we see Jesus today. God, help me as I proclaim the gospel today, your word. May I preach it boldly and clearly as I ought to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, y'all, we're uh, officially... Two weeks from Christmas, today, two weeks, all right? Uh, and each year, now we got six kids, each year some of our kids remind us that Christmas is coming starting in like July, right? It's like we're at the beach laying out and they're like, Christmas, Christmas list? Did you get our Christmas list? Seriously, we got kids like that. I don't know if any of you parents got kids that remind you way early, but we do. Now, why do our kids do this? Why do they remind us so early about Christmas? Well, they do this because of the anticipation of Christmas, right? And because of the joy of Christmas. 
right? This is why we have our advent calendars. This is why we have our countdowns to this special day. It's the building up of anticipation. It's the awaiting of the arrival of a day that we get just once a year, right? I mean, there's a reason why many of us wake up, many of us, not all of us. I get it. Some people aren't about Christmas. Some people struggle with Christmas. But many of us wake up on Christmas morning in a good mood, don't we? Like, even people that aren't naturally morning people kind of wake up Christmas morning in a good mood, right? They're walking around in their Christmas jammies. They're chugging eggnog at 9 a.m. That's what I do on Christmas morning. Eggnog, like, that's like a divisive topic. I get it. <laughs> But this is many of our realities around Christmas and um, on Christmas because it's, it really is one of the most unique holidays of all time. It holds this unique sacredness to it. And when it finally arrives, right, when, when the waiting is finished and we enter into that moment around the tree with the gifts and the lights and the people we love, there is this peculiar joy in the air. The day we have been waiting for has finally arrived. And yet, the moment we wait for, the gifts we unwrap, although they are meaningful and joyful, they begin to fade rather quickly, don't they? Like, I don't know how many toys that I've returned or donated or recycled, right, that were just like the hype thing a year before at Christmas. Any other parents do that? Like, you got these toys you bought that were like the hype thing. We need these toys. You get them and then you're, you're recycling parts of it. You're donating complete boxes of toys, right? But after Christmas is over, we know something happens. It's called the great return, right? We return some stuff we don't like, of course. But we return to real life. We return to work and school. We clean up the wrapping paper and we take down the tree and lights and before we know it, we're out of that special moment. And the magic that held back the mundane and the thoughts and fears and struggles and pains of everyday life is now gone. It's, it's as if a dam breaks and everything comes rushing back to reality. So a question. How do we maintain joy in a mundane and broken world? How do we maintain joy in a mundane and broken world? Right? I think so often we are tempted right, to find another thing to anticipate on the calendar. Right? Another event, a vacation, a celebration of some kind, another date on the calendar. Right? Something to, to fill the void of joy in our lives. And listen, there's nothing wrong with, with enjoying those moments and events and vacations. I know I do. But how do we sustain joy? outside of those events. Listen, that's what I'm after. I'm not honest. I struggle with joy in my day-to-day -day life. I struggle with it. I fight for it. I don't have it every day. And I think many of us would prefer joy to be a more consistent theme in our lives. Right? Because things, again, quickly move back into the mundane and the struggles of life return. If we're honest, most of life is kind of vanilla, Right? <laughs> Like we do have some moments and events that we anticipate with joy, but most are simply this routine and struggle at best. And listen, for some of us today, life might feel more like a wilderness and a desert, or like we are strangers who don't fit in here, 
or even exiles who feel like they're pushed out and can't seem to find a sense of home here. I'm guessing some of us here today are really struggling with life. And maybe some are even struggling with the idea of Christmas. Maybe you don't feel at home. Maybe, maybe the idea of home is far away from here. Maybe there's loneliness or sadness or grief that you're experiencing today. Perhaps you're dealing with an injustice. Or maybe there's brokenness or loss or rejection. And listen, it is this reality, this struggle that we, we find ourselves in that actually drops us right into the very center of today's text. The people of Israel here had been experiencing, to say it frankly, hell on earth. Israel was at this time on the very brink of being exiled from their home, which meant that they were being pushed out of their land by these neighboring nations. They had no true sense of home anymore. They were violently oppressed by these surrounding nations such as Babylon and Edom. Israel was going through tremendous suffering. They were tired. They were, they were tired of the injustices happening to them, and they were weak. They were weak from being on the move and on the run as nomads in a desert. And they were anxious. They were anxious from traumatic events that had taken place. And they were afraid. They were afraid for their lives as they had violent acts done against them. And it is into this moment that God speaks to them through the prophet Isaiah. Now, before we get into chapter 35, first let me just give a little more brief context to what comes before, okay? In Isaiah 34, the chapter preceding, God speaks to the prophet saying that judgment actually is coming towards those who are oppressing his people. He says that for the cause of Zion, which is this idea of the city of God or the place of God, Jerusalem, but for the cause of Zion, he says, will I bring judgment to all the nations and peoples that have done evil to my people? He says he will make this land of Edom, one of their enemies at this moment, into this inhabitable place, a land that is cursed. But then in here, in chapter 35, he draws this very stark contrast. Isaiah paints a hope-filled picture for the people of God here in the text. Instead of a land cursed, and instead of a people on the run, we see this great reversal happen. So let's jump in. We, uh, we see four movements in today's text, okay? Four. And the first one is this. It's a call to strength. A call to strength. Isaiah calls the weak and anxious and exiled, the afraid people of God, to be strengthened, to be strong, to fear not. And this call makes sense, right? They have been running around a wilderness and desert on their run from a violent oppressor. They are oppressed people in a dry desert with very little resources and very little hope. And although I think this is hard for most of us to relate with, we can at least recognize here that would be a depleting and fear-inducing reality, right? Listen, I can't imagine taking my family and leaving our home in the middle of the night in order to save them from a group of people that was bent on taking us out. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine how I would provide food and warmth and care for my family in a wilderness for days and months, if not even years. I can't imagine fearing every single night in that place, in that desert, Fearing for the, my life and the lives of my families and friends. I cannot relate to that. But I am sure it was a terrible and tiring existence. 
And so these people in Isaiah 35, they're on the brink of giving up. They're on the brink of giving up. Some have lost their lives at this point. And all of them are filled with fear and anxiety. They are weak, both mentally and physically. And listen, my guess is some are weak spiritually. Asking questions such as, where is God? Has he left us in the wilderness to die once again? Will God bring justice to those who have wronged us? How long, O Lord, will the wicked prosper? It is to these people that Isaiah says in verses 3 and 4, look at it. Strengthen your weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Now listen, this call on its own might encourage some for a moment, right? Or even a few days. It might instill some courage and hope, but left alone, this call is going to fizzle out. (laughs) It's not sustainable on its own. Because on its own, it's left up to us, us human beings. There's no way a person in the predicament that these people are in can sustain themselves. This call on its own would seem foolish to to most. Like, what do you mean, strengthen our weak hands? We have no strength left. We have no hope left. What are we going to strengthen it with? I mean, have you ever just walked up to someone, maybe they're dealing with deep anxiety, and said, hey, it's all good in the hood. (laughs) Don't worry, be happy. Just be strong and don't fear. Right? That's almost an offensive thing to say to someone that's dealing with something that's deeply distressful, isn't it? These people in today's text have been waiting for someone to show up and save them. They have cried out with loud prayers night after night. And thus far, no one has showed up. So a be strong kind of man up moment isn't going to cut it for them. They are tired and weary and afraid. They are aware that they cannot save themselves. And listen, maybe that's where you are today. Perhaps you are weary. Maybe life has been too much lately. Maybe you two are saying, where are you, God? How long, O Lord, have you left me alone? When will this suffering stop? It's in moments like these that we need more than cliche sayings to pump us up. When we are down and beaten up, a cliche saying feels more like salt in the wound than it does encouragement. When we are hopeless and anxious and tired, we don't need like a Red Bull shot, right? We don't need a temporary fix. We need something much deeper that will save us and sustain us. For example, imagine for a moment that Esther, who is my wife, is out with our four-year-old, Anae, and the van breaks down, which is totally possible, right? And it breaks down after dark in like this edgy part of the neighborhood. Then imagine that there are some men who begin to take notice and begin to circle the van with ill intention. Let's say she calls me. <laughs> she calls me on her cell and I say, hey babe, just be strong and don't fear. <laughs> right? That won't do a thing for her in the moment. But imagine if I said this, hey babe, Be strong, don't fear, for as I speak, there is an army of police officers surrounding these men, and they have come to save you and bring justice to anyone that has come to harm you or rob you. Well, do you know what will happen then? A bit of an exhale, some relief, 
And as she sees the officers arrive with protection and help, a new sense of courage and strength and hope will arise in her. In a moment, that situation will go from bleak to hopeful because of the message and the promise and the reality of what was said here. Don't fear, be strong. Help has arrived and you will be saved and those who meant evil will be dealt with. Listen, that messaging is vastly different than the former because it's attached to a promise of deliverance. And that's the message from Isaiah to God's people here. Listen to what Isaiah says next in verse 4b. Verse 4b. Behold your God. Behold your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. Isaiah gives them a real good reason to be encouraged and strengthened in the midst of suffering here. He brings them good news. He says, hey, take heart. God is on his way. And he's on his way to do three things. Number one, he's on his way to rescue you, to save you. And in his rescuing, he will come with three different separate things. With vengeance, it says, right? Now, to bring vengeance is to bring judgment for wrong done. The promise is that God will be the one who brings this. This is not a call for us to bring vengeance as much as we might be tempted to at times, right? No, it is the Lord's work to bring proper vengeance. The Edomites and the other nations who have been unjustly oppressing Israel will have to deal with God's judgment. So he says, hey, take heart. Justice is on its way. Then he says, not just justice, but recompense. Now, to bring recompense is to make amends for the wrong done to you. In other words, those who did wrong will pay for their crimes, yes, and what has been taken from you will be returned to you in full. That's recompense. For Israel, that meant that their home and their land would be returned to them. They will receive back what had been taken. And then he says, God will save you. He will bring salvation to you. You won't be left on your own, Israel. Like, this is the greatest news on the planet for for someone suffering or lost. This threefold action step of God, this threefold rescue plan of God completely changes the moment for Israel. They went from hopeless to hope-filled. God will come and bring judgment to those who have been hunting you down, Israel. God will bring judgment to those who are oppressing you. God will give you back what is rightly yours, and God will save you and rescue you. All the wrong will be made right through God. Listen, y'all, this is why they can strengthen their weak hands and their feeble knees and say to those who are anxious, be strong and do not fear. This is why. Because of the promise of salvation in the one who is attached to the promise. It changes everything for Israel. Because they were despairing in this moment. They wondered if God would ever show up. They were tired of the oppression and tired of the desert and tired of waiting on God. And yet, this good news from Isaiah the prophet begins to wash over them. And God wants you and me to be reminded today that in our waiting, in our sorrow, in our fear, in our despairing, that God sees us and hears us and he's on the way to save us. So friends, do this today. Cling to this phrase, behold your God. Circle it in your Bible. Put it in your phone. Get a tattoo. I don't care. Behold your God. Take heart. God is on his way to rescue you today. He's on his way. 
Now, what's the result of God coming and saving Israel here? What's the fruit of this good news? Look at what happens next when God shows up. He rescues them, yes, but he also will renew all things. Look at verses five through seven. Then, in other words, when God shows up to save them and rescue them, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. Listen, when God shows up and saves his people here, he will renew two things specifically. Number one, he's going to renew the people. He's going to renew the people. Isaiah says that when God shows up, when he arrives, yes, he will bring justice, and yes, he will rescue you, and as he saves you, he will make new what has been broken in the people of God. You see it there? Blind eyes opened, deaf ears unstopped, the lame leaping, the mute singing. This is the God we worship, y'all. The one that saves us holistically, right? And for Israel in this moment, to hear about this renewal of their bodies had to be life-giving for them. Listen, their bodies were tired. <laughs> their bodies were tired from, and broken from life in the wilderness. And now the prophet tells them that they will be fully healed and made new when God arrives. Listen, I don't know what parts of you need renewed today, that needs renewed. But God promises to renew all of you, the whole you. When God shows up, the things that are broken become healed. Amen? And he says, yes, I'll renew the people when I show up to save you, but I also will renew the land, right? You see it there? Streams in a desert. The burning sand of pool, which is like, I don't know, Palm Springs, right? It sounds amazing. Burning sand becomes pools of water. Thirsty ground becomes springs of water. Listen, here God's presence and his power will transform not only the people, but the desert. But the desert into a place where there are springs, ponds, streams with lush vegetation. The land that was quenched and the land that was inhabitable will become a lush garden for the people of God to dwell in. And listen, as the Israelites here limped through this hot and barren desert, this had to fill them with some hope, right? God will come and save us. He will heal us and we will no longer be pushed out of our homes to, to trek through this broken and dry land. But one day we will have a forever home that mirrors the very Garden of Eden. Man, listen, God can take your desert experiences and turn it into a garden that flows with resources and refreshment. He is the God of the great reversal. He's the God of the great reversal. So God's appearing here will, will result in one, a rescued people and a renewed people and land, right? Something that the people of Israel had been longing for desperately. But listen, here's what's wild about God. He doesn't stop there. <laughs> He's got one more movement here. He's going to, re, to bring his people safely back to his forever home, to their forever home. He's going to return them home. Look at verses 8 and 9. And a highway shall be there. And that shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. 
Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. The ransomed of God will have access to walk safely home to Zion. God's people had been homeless and walking in a desert and in a wilderness, often afraid for their lives from their enemies or from wild animals. And so for this promise here that there will be a highway for them that is reserved, it says, only for God's people. It's reserved for them. This had to be good news to them, right? This is a perfectly safe way. Again, for a people who have been oppressed and living in fear, this idea of a safe highway would be life-giving for them. God says here, listen, when I show up, I will show up to rescue you, I will show up to renew, and I will show up to return you safely home. He says, take heart. God is on his way, Israel. So the movements here of God uh, are this. So far, the movements of God on behalf of his people is this. God will rescue his people. He will bring justice to those who have wronged them. He will give them back what is rightly theirs. He will recompense. He will renew and heal them in the land holistically, and he will return them safely home. So this is what God will do. This is what God will do for them. Now, what is the response from God's people in light of his saving work here? What's the response? Right? I mean, I can, I can imagine how this news would be received from a people who had been oppressed and hopeless and afraid and waiting to be rescued, right? The result of a ransomed people is none other than, than joy. Than joy. Look at the bookends of the chapter today. Look at the bookends. It's verses 1 and 2 and verse 10. It says this in verse 1. The wilderness and dry land shall be glad. And the desert shall rejoice like the croc and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Look down at verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Listen, because of the good news of what God will do, the land will go from a desert to a blossoming and lush landscape, and the people who are oppressed will go from weak and anxious and afraid to singing with gladness and joy. Both the land and the people will sing and rejoice with joy. Right? It's like it reminds you, like, even the rocks will cry out. Right? The trees are going to clap their hands. Creation will go from groaning to singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. Which means they will have a joy that will never, ever expire. A forever joy that won't end. So listen, back to our opening question. How can you and I maintain joy in a mundane and broken world? Here's the answer. By remembering by remembering that we are a ransomed people, right? By remembering that we have a God who longs to rescue us and renew us and return us home safely. By remembering that we are not ultimately at the mercy of those who have hurt us or wronged us or sinned against us, but we have a good God who is on his way to bring us out of our desert experiences. 
And listen, y'all. Ransom people can't help but sing. I mean, come on, right? Ransom people can't help but sing. Listen, do you need a song today? Do you need a song of joy? I do. Listen, do you need something that can sustain you through the holidays, through your life, through the stages of life? Do you need something to sustain you with joy? This is it. This is the answer. It can't be found in no other space or place as much as we try. This is the thing. This is the gift we all need. This is the gift that gets rid of all the things we least desire. I mean, I love how the chapter ends. Do you see it? Last phrase of chapter 10. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And listen, this is one of the most hope-filled sentences I've ever read in my life. Is anyone here sorrowful today? Does anyone find themselves sighing throughout the day? These deep sighs that communicate that something in us is unsettled or hurt or anxious or broken sighs. Listen. Here. Because of this good news that God is on his way and because of the promise of what he will do when he arrives. Because of that, sorrowful sighing is replaced with joyful singing. I mean, come on, right? Sorrowful sighing is replaced with joyful singing here. Like, what a picture. Right? What a God we have. What joy is ours to be had. Well, let me, let me spend the rest of my time here looking at where all this is going. Because it's all going somewhere. It's all pointing to something. Everything in this text, I mean everything, points to beholding Jesus. To beholding Jesus. For Israel, it pointed them to the future king, to the Messiah, to the one that would come. For us, it points us back to the Messiah, to Jesus, the one that has come. And for all of us, it points us to this idea of a future kingdom. Isaiah 35 points to Jesus and his kingdom. And and it does it in so many different ways, and I can't cover them all. I'll give you a few examples of how it points to Jesus today. One in verse 4, when it says, your God will come and save you. It's speaking of Jesus as the God who comes to save us. Right? At the time that Isaiah wrote this, he was speaking of a future Messiah, a Savior. And as we know, God did come and save us. He did show up. Jesus came and he brought salvation to his people. He brought salvation even to all nations. He did not leave them and he did not leave us alone. Rather, he came and he brought perfect justice by becoming our sacrificial lamb for us. Jesus is the one Isaiah was referring to. Verse 4 points to Jesus as our God that will come and save us. Verses 5 and 6 talks about this God coming to renew his people. To heal them holistically. Listen, Jesus is our God who renews us. Jesus is an exact fulfillment of this. Because, listen, years later, God showed up in the most personal and powerful of ways. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, shows up on the scene to save, yes. To take the justice we deserve, yes. And then to heal and renew us. And there's this scripture in um, Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew 11, there's this scripture that actually is a direct tie back to Isaiah 35. Let me read it for you. 
It says, now when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, which is the Messiah, the one who is to come, he sent words by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the one that is to come? (laughs) Or shall we look for another? Are you the one promised from the Old Testament? Are you the one that Isaiah 35 says is on his way? And Jesus answered them with a, yes, I am the one who was to come. Let me give you some proof, okay? And here's what he says. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. What's that remind you all of? All right? Right in the center of our text today, Isaiah 35. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Man. Jesus is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah 35. He literally heals the lame in his ministry on earth. He heals the blind, the mute, the deaf. He preaches the good news, the same good news that Isaiah proclaims here. Your God will come and save you. Behold your God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the good news. The God we are to behold is none other than the Messiah, Jesus, God in the flesh. The promise is fulfilled through Jesus who comes and saves his people and heals his people. And he is the guy that you and I are to look to. Because listen, we too are broken. We too need rescued. We too need God to bring justice to us. And listen, while Israel had to wait and look forward to see the promise fulfilled, we get to look back and see God's promise fulfilled for us. God did show up and Jesus did heal the lame and the blind and the deaf and he longs to heal whatever is broken in you and me. And in verses eight and nine, it says a highway will be there. Listen guys, Jesus is the highway to the forever city of God. He is the highway, right? The early church was known as what? The way, right? Jesus told us that he was the way. And it's clear here that Jesus was a direct fulfillment of this idea in Isaiah 35 of a highway or a way of holiness that leads us to the forever city of God. Jesus is the highway to Zion and he has paved the way with his life and death and resurrection so that you and I can have secure access to the very throne of God in the place where God dwells. He's the highway. And then lastly, verse 10 says Jesus, or says God will ransom us and return us home. Which is, again, pointing to Jesus as the one who will ransom us and ultimately bring us home. All right, so today we, we are reminded that our desert experiences don't have to lead to sorrow and death, right? And this is because our God walked through the valley of the shadow of death for us. Jesus spent time in the wilderness of death for us. In a way, he was exiled from heaven and lived as a nomad on this broken earth, and yet he chose this path, right? He chose because of his love for us to leave his heavenly home and to live as an exile, to give his life as a ransom for many, right? To suffer for us in a desert, as it were, and not just to suffer, but to be judged by God for us and take on the justice that you and I deserve. And Jesus chose to have his body broken for us to the point of death. 
and to thirst on a cross so that you and I could enjoy the lush landscape of God's grace. So that you and I could be forgiven from our sins so that we could have a forever home where there are no more tears or pain or death where sorrow and sighing flee. This is ultimately a picture, right, of life in Revelation 21. And this new heavens and new earth where sin ceases and only goodness dwells and sorrow and sighing are no no more because of Jesus taking on our sorrow and our sighing for us. Revelation 21, 3 to 4 says this. God will dwell with them, his people. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any more mourning nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away, to which Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. So friends, we can have joy today. I can have joy today. Because of Jesus and what he has done and what he's going to do. Listen, although his work on the cross is finished, and although he has sent his spirit to to seal us, we also continue to long for a, a day that will come where his kingdom will forever reign and where we will enjoy an unbroken world full of unending joy. Amen? That's our future. And yet beautiful and glorious elements of the kingdom have already broken into our here and now. And yet we wait for his completion. (laughs) So as we wait and as I close, allow me to call us to just three things. If you're here today and you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you're here and you're intrigued, you're leaning in, showed up for some reason. Listen, Jesus longs to save you. He longs to save you. Repent and believe is the call. Right? Repent means to turn from your way of living and your sin and, and to turn to Jesus and trust his work for you. He took on your sin. He lived a perfect life for you. He died in your place. He took on the justice you deserve. And he's fully willing to forgive you and invite you to his forever family. Jesus longs to save you. Listen, behold, your God has come to save you. Repent and believe in him. Number two, if Jesus has saved you today, here's the call. Remember and sing, right? Remember and sing. When we remember all the truths that Isaiah reminded us of today, our hearts become full of gratitude and wonder and joy if we really dwell on it and remember it and sit there for a moment, right? Because we are ransomed and we are free. Listen, nothing can change that. If you're in Christ, that is who you are. You're a ransomed, free person in Christ. And so we celebrate and sing and say, behold, our God has saved us. And then lastly, Jesus will save us Let's look forward with anticipation and hope for what is to come, right? Everyone in Christ today, everyone that's here who's in Christ is moving toward a future where all sorrow and sighing will flee and joy will be the forever emotion we experience. Jesus will return and make all things new. A new heavens and a new earth is on its way. So listen, behold, our God is coming soon. Take heart, God is on his way, friends. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you that you meet us in our spaces and places that are broken and anxious and tired and afraid. 
and sinful and that you do not leave us on our own but you come and you make all things new. You rescue us, you renew us, you return us safely home to our forever place with you. Thank you, Father, for sending the Son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in our place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for pointing us back to Jesus. Fill us today with your spirit. Open our eyes to see today and send us out with a song of joy here right now in this moment and throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.